The wait is over. Is over. Ladies and gentlemen, from the studios in the wrestling capital of the South, it's another terrific episode of The Binge Buster Show. Please welcome your host, Tony Binge. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Binge Buster Show. Uh, it is a new day, a new month. We got through the uh, month of the 4th of July and uh, talked about all the wonderful, great, great American bashes, reliving some of the highlights and lowlights of that great pay-per-view. Uh, this month's uh, series, we're going to be talking about factions. What was the greatest professional wrestling team factions uh, in the history of professional wrestling, we're going to be breaking down some of the biggest and definitely the best uh, coming up on this month's podcast. And uh, right now, without any further ado, well, I'm going to bring on the main, my main man, my co-host. I'm talking about Chris Plano. Chris, what is going on? Boy, terrific, Tony. Thank you for having me back, man. The, the weeks are, are, are rolling by, and I'm excited about this, this week's show. I, I know we're, we're, we're pivoting, as they say. That's the new power word now. We're pivoting into something new uh, this week and, and, and ready for it. We're going to hit it head on. Yeah, it's going to be great. Uh, but uh, b- before we get into the podcast, Chris, I mean, here we are in North Carolina. We're deep, you know, on the, on the, the downside of summer. And we're still here in North Carolina stuck in uh, phase two. What are your thoughts on that, Chris? Well, it seems like it's the phase we cannot get out of. I think we've been in this phase now for uh, three months, and and the governor uh, came on this past Wednesday. We had a very active week here in the Carolinas. We had a tropical storm uh, rip through here up up the East Coast as well. And uh, um, then the governor came on a day later and said, well, we're doing a little bit better, but not really what I want to see. So we're going to keep you in phase two for five more weeks here. We'll be in phase two until uh, uh, September 11th. Um, so five more weeks and September 11th is another big day here in the United States as well. And uh, yeah, we're kind of stuck in phase two and uh, not going anywhere fast. It seems. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, uh, you know, a, a lot of people are like down and like, well, what do we do? Well, I, I don't know about everybody else, but, and I know you too, Chris, um, but I've pretty much still been living my life as normal uh, as, as I can. Uh, you know, I'm still doing my thing. I'm still taking little vacations. I'm still taking my family out to dinner. I'm still buying things. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's like a new thing for us. It's, it's, it's a new norm and we, we just have to adapt to it. Yeah, absolutely. We just really do have to adapt to this, and everyone's in this together. You know, they, they keep emphasizing us to wear face masks, practice six feet or more of social distancing, wash your hands regularly, sanitize your hands, and, you know, you've got some people that are following the rules. you got some people that are following the rules maybe only part of the time, and then we still have others out there. I don't think they're following the rules at all, So, it, but it really is going to be a, a, a team effort here. And uh, we got to somehow get through this and, and, and get past this. But it's going to take some time. And I, I think the biggest thing on everyone's minds now are getting the kids back to school, uh, not just the K through 12 kids, but also the colleges and universities and community colleges. And I think that's just the focus now over the next, you know, two to three to four weeks. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, 
I, I think the uh, number one telltale sign uh, to kind of see how this thing is is just in a couple of weeks here in North Carolina when schools go back. Um, I think that's going to tell the story as far as um, how things are going to go uh, here on out. So uh, we're all going to stay positive and um, and hope hope for the best and um, just just roll roll with the punches as uh, as Van Halen would always say, just roll with the punches. That's right. Absolutely. Roll with the punches and, uh, you know, and, and just, you know, just again, we're going to get through this. It's just a matter of we got to do it safely and uh, do the right thing and, and, and mitigate the amount of positive cases, hospitalizations, and ultimately as you know, minimal deaths as possible. Unfortunately, there's a, there's a sad side to it as well, but we're going to get through to the other side. Yeah, I, I definitely believe it. Now, speaking of getting to the other side, uh, the month of July, as I was telling our, our listeners as we first came on the air today, um, the month of July, we focused on the Great American Bash, uh, the the really cool summer event that Dusty Rhodes created back in 1985. Um, we, we broke down some of the best ones, and we saved the worst one for last. Uh, this month, I think we're going to save the best for last as um, this this month's um, theme. We're talking about factions uh, in the professional wrestling world. Um, factions were, you know, groups of three or more. And uh, over the years in pro wrestling, we had tons and tons of those. Some were really good. Some were really bad. But this month, I think we're going to focus on the really good ones. Uh, kind of bring back some memories of, of, of for some listeners and hopefully educate some of the younger ones out there listening or some of the older ones that, that may not have been aware of some of the things that we're going to bring to your attention. But uh, we're going to be getting into that, all this and much more coming up next on the Binge Buster Show. Strap yourself in because we're set up, switched on and ready to go. All right, fans, welcome to the Binge Buster Show. Uh, as Chris and I were talking a little earlier, today, uh, just a few minutes ago, we're uh, going to be talking about factions. Uh, pro wrestling was was loaded and still is loaded with factions, big super groups, groups that, that really made, um, made headway in the professional wrestling scene. Um, and this week, we're going to be talking about the three-man factions. Um, probably one of the first three-man factions that I ever uh, came across, Chris, uh, and they were very successful in the Jim Crockett promotions, uh, and that was the team of the Russians, Ivan, Nikita, and Crusher Khrushchev. Absolutely. I mean, they were uh, a force to, to be reckoned with, 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 with Ivan Koloff, a, a, a veteran in, in professional wrestling at the time of, of the faction of the Russians and bringing in Nikita and Crusher Khrushchev. And, and, and at the time, you know, w when this was happening as well, the U.S. relations were, with Russia were probably not, not the greatest as well. And, and, and wrestling really took that storyline somewhat off of what was happening in the real world as well. And it really resonated with the fans and, and, you know, the USA and, and the, the feud that they had. And, and it really worked for professional wrestling. And Ivan was just great in, in the role as well. But even with a young Nikita Koloff, who was gigantic and Crusher Khrushchev as well. Yeah, definitely. So the, the Russian team fans, they were actually formed in December, 1984 in Jim Crockett promotions, uh, they consisted of the NWA World Tag Team Champions Don Carnoodle and Ivan Koloff, and then they added 
uh, Nikita Koloff, who was uh, at the time billed as as Ivan Koloff's nephew. He was a big monster. Um, after they lost the titles, the Russians turned on Don Carnoodle and they brought in Crusher Khrushchev. Um, and when they formed the the three Russian team, they got a. I mean, Trump, like like you said, uh, during that time, America was involved in in the with with the Russian issue. And thus, this made really good TV, really good heat. And the Russians were definitely, uh, probably at that time in '84, uh, probably the the you know they they were the most hated heels in the Carolinas. Um, and then le- they later on uh, would uh, actually be named the NWA World Six Man Tag Team Champions, and uh, they they would defend those titles um, across the Carolinas and Virginia and all well, the Mid Atlantic Territory until they end up losing the six man titles to Dusty Rhodes and the Ru- and the uh, Road Warriors. But during this time, the Russian team uh, were really hot in the Mid Atlantic area. Crusher Khrushchev was the Mid Atlantic Heavyweight Champion. Uh, Nikita ended up becoming the United States Champion, and like I said, they were actually World Tag Team Champions. But I think the 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 one thing we need to look at here is during the time that the Russians were 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 there, um, nobody could beat them. They, they I mean they kept the tag team belts. They didn't lose them. I think they may have lost them one time to Dusty Rhodes and Manny Fernandez, but it was only for just a few weeks, and then they had them back and they kept them for a very long time until the team of the rock and roll express came in and upset the Russians. And I think, uh, up until that point, the Russians were definitely unstoppable. Yeah. And I think that was just the mistake of, of them as the champions and them as a team, whether it was, they were in six man competition or tag team competition or even singles matches that they were this kind of somewhat of an unstoppable force in the ring. And, and, and I think that just played into the whole, gimmick that they had and everything and it was and it, it just kept the fans on edge um but you know and then when ricky and robert beat them they were just so over i, I don't think the nwa had much choice and no i think the russians were in some enemy territory when rock and roll hit the ring and um but 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 then you know definitely a formidable opponent and but you know when you got in the ring with them you knew you were in for a battle no matter what night of the week it was yeah, and and one of the things I, I want to touch on right here um, is even after the Russians lost the World Tag Team titles to the Rockland Express, they were still, um, you know, it they uh, they didn't lose their fire so to speak. So at that point, they really didn't need the World Tag Team title belts to to keep them in the in the mainstream because just them being Russians alone did that. But the Road Warriors came into the NWA right after Rockland Express uh, won the World Tag Team titles and started a feud with the russians and that that feud was 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 red hot during the summer of um of of 85 um and 86 because they you know they they went all 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 around the great american bashes with their double russian chain matches and stuff but i think the 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 one thing that really um i I think one of the, the 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 best angle i guess you'd say that the russians was part of was nikita koloff in his best of seven series with Magnum TA over the United States title um, in October 1986, of course, Magnum was injured in a tremendous car accident um, and that ended his career. So at that point in time, that 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 was when the really uh, something really strange happened. And that was seeing Nikita Koloff turn babyface and and help Dusty Rhodes in his feud with the four horsemen. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, and 
for you know, I loved it, and I know you mentioned Nikita, and I know he was a part of this Russian team, but I really loved him as a singles wrestler. Uh, you know, I, I really followed him as you know when I was watching him in the NWA, whether he was a babyface or a heel in the ring, or no matter what he was doing. But really, his just his persona in the ring, you know, was great. I just loved it, you know, and I, I just kind of just always followed him along the way. And, and Ivan as well. Cause I remember Ivan way back from the old WWF days, uh, you know, when he was in, you know, back in the, in the 70s as well. Um, so, I mean, it worked, but definitely love Nikita. And I know we, 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 it seems every week we always bring up the Magnum TA accident in, in one way, shape, or form. And I know we just talked about it again of, of what could have, could have been there as well. Yeah. And, and one thing that, that I want to touch on too with Ivan, uh, a lot of people may not know this, but Bruno San Martino was the WWF world champion. He was undefeated for, for several years. And it was Ivan Koloff who, who upset Bruno in the garden. And that, that was big, big, big news back then. That was gigantic news because Bruno San Martino held the belt for a very long time. Was you know no one defeated Bruno San Martino uh, in, in the ring, and uh, and then you had this this Russian come in. You know, you know, you know from Russia, not from the USA. You know, and then all of a sudden, you know, the the dominoes start falling, and next thing you know, he's got the title around the waist. I mean, they, I really even think that I read in some circles that night that there was nearly a, a riot in the arena. Yeah. Um, that evening they had to get Ivan out of there and probably even Bruno to an extent as well, just because of the Italian following that San Martino had up in the Northeast and into the Pennsylvania area. Not that he wasn't nationwide and worldwide. He was, but had a strong, strong Italian and Irish following up, up, up that way. Yeah, definitely for sure. And, 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 you know, fans, I like to always touch on my wrestling career. And, uh, Chris, I think one of the highlights of my wrestling career was one night, um, I got to be part of a six man, uh, tag team, uh, match. It was, um, myself, um, another gentleman and Ivan, the Russian bear, Ivan Koloff uh, against a couple other guys and, and, uh, the boogie woogie man, Jimmy Valiant. And Chris, I can't explain to you the rush that I had, uh, being in the ring uh, with with uh, these two great legends, and uh, no matter you know, you hear a lot of guys say, "Hey, I, I met this guy. Man, he was a super nice guy." But uh, right now, I can tell you that the three top, and I ain't knocking anybody in the wrestling business, but I'm just saying, I'm being honest here. The three nicest names that I have ever had the privilege of working with uh, was beautiful Bobby Eaton. Handsome Jimmy Boogie Woogie Man Vay and Ivan Koloff. Those, those those three guys are the sweetest, nicest gentlemen I've ever been in the ring with. They 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 are you know they're not there just to make their money. They're there to help the show, help the promoter, uh, and the guys they work with help you and teach you, you know, some of the things that that maybe you don't know yet or or didn't even realize. Uh, and, and during this match, one of the things that Ivan taught me. Uh, just it, just in the the fifteen minutes or whatever our match lasted was his psychology with like he was choking the guy and he kept turning the guy and making it look like the guy was pulling was pulling Ivan's hair. Ivan doesn't have no hair, <laughs> and so the it was so great. So he, he's, he's telling the referee, for a bit. yeah, he's telling he's pulling my hair, ref, and the ref's searching for that, you know, to see him pulling the hair. And the whole time, Ivan's choking the guy out, and the people are going nuts. And he looks over at me and he says, "That's how you get 
heat comrade. And I said, I love it, Ivan. Yeah. I love it. But it was great. And and Ivan was great. And he was, you know, he's he's missed every day. There's not a day goes by. I don't I don't think about Ivan and and how much he contributed to um, you know, my childhood of growing up and 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 I'll never forget, Chris, my, my first time um meeting um Ivan and Nikita was by complete uh, accident. Um this is probably well it was, it was definitely it was nineteen eighty six. Um, Greensboro Coliseum. Um, it was right before the Great American Bash had started up. Um, but Ivan, uh, I'm sorry, Nikita had just started the feud with Magnum TA. Just started it up. It was just getting red hot. And we're at the Greensboro Coliseum. And this was back whenever, you, you know, you, you, um, you, you get there the, the day of the show and you're buying tickets at the box office. Well, the box office, as so many people that don't know this, but in the Greensboro, in the old Greensboro Coliseum, the box office, uh, they, they were like little um, different little booths uh, spread out all over the, 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 at, at the beginning of the Coliseum when you first come in. So I'm, I'm there. I'm standing in line waiting, to, you know, with, with my dad to get my ticket you know, or for him to get tickets for our show that night. And I start hearing everybody chanting USA, USA. And Chris, I turn around and I guess what happened, Ivan and Nikita couldn't get in the back door. The back door was locked and they couldn't get anybody oh, to come man. in. So they come through the front door right by the ticket office, the ticket master oh. location. They're carrying their bags and everybody in there is chanting USA. And the cops are like, you know, around them, getting them through the people and, and fans, you, you don't understand Back in 1986, when you went to the Greensboro Coliseum to see wrestling, it was like seeing Elvis Presley. I mean, it was always packed. It was always sold out. There was never an empty seat nowhere. And while I'm standing there, they're walking by me. And, I, and where I'm standing, I'm like in their way. And Nikita hits me with his bag. <laughs> and I was like terrified as a, as a little young yeah. kid. Um, but um, that, that was my first meeting That's with him. Awesome stuff. Yeah, and years later, when I got to work with Ivan, I told him about it, and and he and it's what he told me. He said, "Yeah, he said we we went to the back door, we couldn't get in, and um and this was before they put the fence up to to block the the marks from from the workers. So he said we couldn't get in the back door. We're beating and knocking, and nobody's coming. So he, he said, I told Ivan, I told Nikita, grab our bags. It's going to get crazy. And he said, and he said, luckily I found a cop on the way in and, and he called more cops and got us in the building. He said, but, um, but yeah, he said, he said they were always in fear for their life back then because they had so much heat. And when Nikita got paired up with, uh, with Magnum, my gosh, Magnum was so popular in the, in the NWA back in 86. It was, it was unreal. Um, it was just, it was just a great time and a great, a great time to be a wrestling fan. Oh, I'm sure. Absolutely. My God. I mean, and those are stories you'll never, ever be able to, to tell again. I mean, it's like you're just at the right place at the right time. And, you know, you probably wouldn't even see that in, in, in today's, uh, you know, going to either, you know, a WWF show or, or, or another wrestling show, you know, at a big arena. You probably would never see that ever again. No, definitely not. Uh, but but definitely the Russians were were, were really over. Um, and as the years went by, they um, they uh, tried to um, – to, um, to put them back together after Nikita had turned babyface, um, they they put Ivan with Vladimir Pietrov, and that that would that was okay, but it wasn't it wasn't where it wasn't where Nikita was. Um, and then there in 1988, uh, they brought in um, the Russian assassins uh, under Hoods, 
uh, and put them with uh, with Ivan and uh, that again. It was they they were something new, but they wasn't uh, what all the Carolina fans were used to. And the team of Ivan, Nikita, and Crusher. Um, so it so they they never did have the notoriety or the heat at that they did in the in the early eighties there or the mid eighties eighty five eighty six. But uh, and 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 incidentally, uh, I forgot to mention this, but um, Crusher Khrushchev actually ended up leaving the NWA at the end of 86 uh, over a contract dispute and went to the WWF. And of course he had multiple, multiple names there. Uh, but to me, Barry Darso will always be known as Crusher Khrushchev. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, they, they were a great team. It worked for the NWA at that time. And, and no matter how they were paired up or, or who they were against, it, it was a good draw. And, and in, in some way, shapes, or forms, you know, they had the tag team titles. Nikita had a world title shots. I, I mean, it, it worked, and, and they, they kept them relevant in, 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 in moving them in and out of storylines. And I know you were talking about your match with, with Valiant and, and uh, uh, Ivan on opposite sides, and I know there's always a lot of things probably going through your mind, heading to the ring, walking down the aisle, and you got to stay focused, but you almost have to maybe even have a little flashback as well, you know, thinking – how many times has the guy walked the aisle with the NWA, you know, getting in the ring, you know, for war on a, on any given night of the week as well. Yeah, it was, it was a great time and, uh, it's a fun night and I, I wish I still had that on, on video somewhere, but at some point in terrific Tony's career, uh, he's gotten divorced and probably that videotape is probably somewhere in a trash can or burned. <laughs> Who knows? It's gone now, but man, I would love to, to, to see that again, but, any event, um, the Russians were uh, the first three-man team uh, that I remember watching as a kid growing up. Now, this next team that we're going to talk about and the last team we're talking about this week uh, on this edition of the Factions is probably the most famous. They have done so much for the wrestling business. Um, trendsetters, uh, they even have a, a rule uh, of wrestling named after them. And I'm talking about the fabulous Freebirds, Michael Hayes, Buddy Roberts, and Terry Gordy. Um, they were the ones to actually come up with the the the, the rule called the Freebird Rule. And what that rule means, guys, if you don't know, is say you're a team and, and there's three guys in the team and you're the tag team champions. Well, when you're a tag team champion, uh, only only two people can can be a team, right? Well, not anymore. Because the Freebirds changed all that when they decided, hey, we're the Fabulous Freebirds. We sign our contracts as the Fabulous Freebirds. So it doesn't matter if it's Michael and Buddy, Buddy and Terry, Terry and Michael, Buddy and Terry. Didn't matter. They could they could change it around every night, and that was great heat because the other, the babyface teams a lot of times didn't know who they going to face. Is it be Michael Hayes or Terry Gordy or Terry and Buddy? Buddy and Michael, you know, they could change it all, all, all at any given time, um, and I think that 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 was a really smart move on their part, wouldn't you say, Chris? I would say so. I mean, because you you just never know who you were taking on, you know, night in and night out, and and you know, it's, it's a fabulous three birds, you, you, you know, Michael Hayes, Terry Bam Bam Gordy, Buddy Roberts. I, I mean, you know, their wrestling styles were were very unique in the ring and. And personally, I mean, I loved them when they were in six-man battles. I mean, I think that's where their bread and butter was and where their storylines were. 
you know, per se. And, and that's how I followed the fabulous Freebirds, and, and they caught my attention when they were on television. Primarily in world-class championship wrestling was my first exposure, you know, to the Freebirds and, and just always loved the feuds and, and, and great interviews as well to lead up to those feuds that really sold the storylines of, of who they were and, 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 and what they were doing. Yeah. Um, I, I'm like you, Chris, my, my first, um, uh, my first time seeing the, the, uh, free birds, uh, was in world-class during the, the really hot time of the review with the Von Ericks. And, um, I've got a friend of mine, she used to live there in Texas and she actually went to, uh, several of the game, uh, several of the shows and she actually went to school with the Von Ericks. So, and she would tell me, uh, you know, you, you had to experience wrestling at the sportatorium and you had to experience a, a an event with the Freebirds versus Devon Ericks because it was like a football team versus you know and their 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 rival team. It was just like the North against the South. I mean, she said it was it was red hot and and I've heard a lot of people say that and I I hate I never got to experience that. But um, but the Fabulous Freebirds actually started uh, performing together in 1979 when Mid-South Wrestling promoter Bill Watts put them together as a duo. And at, when they first started out, it was Michael Hayes and Terry Gordy. Uh, though originally they were meant to be a tag team, soon they added Buddy Jack Roberts into the mix, and they become a three-man gang uh, type of team. And uh, and and during the time, they were more like um, just your typical uh, hell raisers. You know, Michael Hayes was the stick man, and Buddy and Terry were the guys that went in there and just, you know, just just kicked ass um they 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 had you know feuds like i said earlier feuded with the von erics that's probably their most popular feud of all time but they also had feuds when when they worked for um for um the continental uh wrestling association um there in memphis uh with jerry lawler and bill dundee now chris could you imagine how hot that feud was oh my gosh <laughs> yeah absolutely and you know i i just think you know and and Beside world class, you just never knew where the Freebirds were going to pop up next. I mean, that was kind of the, the crazy thing back then. There were, you know, certain teams or wrestlers that were, you know, working for numerous promotions. Obviously, world class was their home base. But, yeah, I mean, I, and everywhere they went, you know, they kind of went with a chip on their shoulder. And, they, you know, they always had something to prove. And, and, and you know, Michael TSAs was the stick man. He was, the, you know, all the, the, the trash talking, you know, for them. But they really had a good vibe with the fans. They, they were this Southern-based wrestling six-man tag team, you know, that came out to, you know, Leonard Skinner and Freebird. And then I know Michael Hayes made Bad Street USA, and they came out to other music too. And I, I think they were one of the first teams ever to come out to music uh, in, in professional wrestling uh, back in the day. And it really, you know, just made them that much bigger when they were, you know, making their way to the ring or whatever they were doing. Yeah. Uh, when, when the Freebirds uh, got, you know, put their team together and, re and, and came up with their gimmick, uh, the Freebirds, uh, during the time, they, 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 they named their team after the Leonard Skinner song, Freebird, and the image of their gimmick was, would be like Southern Pride because they were all three, you know, from, from, from Southern states. And um, for the most part, the, 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 like at the beginning of the team's early existence, they used the song Freebird by Leonard Skinner and came to the ring. Uh, occasionally, they would come to the ring to Willie Nelson's rendition of Georgia On My Mind, but it was in 1984 
when Michael Hayes got together with with uh, Jimmy Papa and wrote Bad Street USA and Chris, there have been a lot, a lot of of wrestler theme music, especially with the WWE. I mean, you know, they they got tons of of their own, you know, special music written just for them. But I will go out on the limb to tell everybody, everybody this: the best wrestling theme song ever written was Bad Street USA. Absolutely, and and you know, really, even brought out the artistic ability in Michael Hayes as well, and and uh, it, it just it just worked, man. It just worked, and I I, I love just following the Freebirds. Like I said, you had the, they had those great wars with the Von Erichs, and six man tag team wrestling was heavily promoted back in the eighties. They even had six man tag team champions and, and it was like, you knew it was going to be an action packed match. It's not just a tag team. It's a six man tag team now. And you know, it's just going to be that much more action and excitement going on. And, and it, it worked for professional wrestling and it was a draw. And for those guys, I mean, they just had it. And well, you know, you just, I always have it in my mind when the Freebirds are walking to the ring and you got Freebird playing it. Michael Hayes is bobbing his head, you know, leading the way in, and and you got the cape on, and and you got Gordy and Roberts behind them. It was just, if it didn't if it didn't give you chills up your spine, you, you, you there's there something wrong with you. Yeah, and that's definitely definitely sure. Uh, unfortunately, as uh, as time will go on, we will lose um, two of the fa- founding members of the Fabulous Freebirds, uh, Terry Gordy, and Buddy Roberts have passed on, but their legacy lives on. Uh, as Terry Gordy's daughter, Miranda Gordy, who was actually on the Binge Buster show last year. Go back and check out her episode. Um, but now she is following her in her father's footsteps, uh, and, and she is, she's, she's becoming a very successful uh, female wrestler. So check her out on Facebook, Miranda Gordy. Um, and, um, but, but Jimmy Garvin and Michael Hayes are now the, the final members of the Freebirds. And... Um, and you know they, you know they, they, they were they were the last two uh, guys to to run under that name, the Freebirds, um, and of course now they are uh, members of the WWE Hall of Fame, um, and super nice guys, and 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 I I feel like professional wrestling wouldn't be where it is today had it not been for the Fabulous Freebirds. They're the ones that got playing the music and doing the over the top interviews and and the and the costumes and and. And I, I would have to. I, there's been there's been a lot of feuds in professional wrestling, but I I would I, I still think the Von Erich Freebird feud is going to be probably the hottest next to the Full Horseman and Dusty Rhodes. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I, I don't think I can second guess you on that one. And and um, boy, I could just sit down all night and 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 just watch the little world class matches and and reminisce of, of what once was and and you know when those fans you know they're they're just on the edge of the seats no matter what was going on because you know especially with the with the von erics no matter what th- two or three von erics were in the ring it didn't really matter you know you just knew somewhere somehow <laughs> the free birds were were going to do something that that wasn't going to sit well with the fans and and uh but that was part of their allure and and, and mystique in the ring and um you know i, I don't know if they'll ever be another six man tag team like they were in professional wrestling ever. No, I, 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 I'm, I'm with you on that, Chris. I, I believe wholeheartedly. And, and I think what made the Freebird gimmick work so well was because they were best friends and they always traveled together and they had apartments together and they lived together. And 
they, they were like they were a lot like the full horsemen. If Ric Flair was on TV and said he was buying, you know, a twenty five thousand dollar robe, you can bet it was twenty five thousand dollars. And if Michael Hayes and Terry Gordy got on got on television and said, "Hey, you know, we're we're, we're coming to to the Sportatorium and we're going to beat the Von Erichs to within an inch of their life," you you better believe that they were doing that. And man, and what 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 a great team and 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 a great time to be a wrestling fan. Uh, if you got to witness the the Freebirds Von Eric feud, oh, absolutely! And Michael PSA, those guys knew how to sell tickets. All he had to say was, "We're gonna we're gonna beat the Von Erichs all all across Dallas, Texas, and the place will be packed out, and they'll be they'll be looking for blood." It was the fans that night. Always, that, but that, it worked back then. It it definitely and did. That's what it was all about. Yep, it definitely did. Now, fans, you got to make sure you tune in next week as we're going to still stay within this um, this this theme this this month of uh, some of the best factions in the pro wrestling business. And next week, you have to tune in to find out who we talk about. Uh, but right now, we're going to take a quick little break, and we come back. We're going to end our podcast with our flashback coming up right after this. This week's classic flashback. Three years in the making. 63 minutes of -of state-of-the-art rock and roll. Absolute hysteria. With 14 million copies already sold, Def Leppard's latest is the biggest-selling rock album of all time. Hysteria, 12 rockin' tracks including Love Bites, Armageddon It, Animal, and their latest smash single, Rocket. Death Leopards, Hysteria. Get it now. All right, fans, welcome back to the Binge Buster Show. As we are going to be, our flashback this week is talking about Def Leppard's Hysteria, which is the fourth studio album by the English rock band Def Leppard. It was released on August the 3rd, 1987 through Mercury Records and then reissued again on January the 1st, 2000. The album was recorded from February 1984 to January 1987 at the Wizlord Studios in Hilversum. Uh, the album lasts about 62 minutes 32 seconds and was loaded with radio hits such as Pour Some Sugar On Me, Hysteria, Love Bites, and many more. And right now, Chris and I are going to break down this great album. Chris, what was one of your favorite tracks off of this great album? Wow. Um, you, you know, Tony, I, I've seen Def Leppard so many times in concert, uh, uh, both as an opening act, uh, uh, a main act, whatever it may be. I've seen him in festivals, small buildings, up to big arenas. Uh, gosh, favorite song. I, I, I mean, you know, <laughs> they're, they're, all, they're all great. I mean, they're all great on the album. Probably their one album with the most hits on it. I'm gonna to have to go with pour some sugar on 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 me. I mean, there's no 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 doubt. But that's not my favorite Def Leppard song. But I would say off of this album, 
that's the song that gets all the girls fired up. There's oh, yeah. No doubt. When they hit the chord for Pour Slim Sugar on Me, like, it's on. You better, yeah. Yeah, I'm like you, Chris. Uh, you you and I have been to a couple of Def Leppard concerts together, and, and I agree with you 100%. You know, when, when Def Leppard hits the stage and they and they start rocking out, the place goes crazy. But, man, when they crank up Pour Some Sugar on Me, that's kind of like being at a poison show and they t- and they play talk dirty to me. The roof yeah. is coming off, and so probably are and probably are a few and probably a few t-shirts too. <laughs> I would think so. Uh, absolutely, we could probably find some videos online that that can substantiate that fact. But uh, you know, with that said, hey, you know, you got to give it up for the band. You know, Def Leppard has stood the test of time over the decades you know, through the 80s, and they're one of these bands that has survived, you know, the ups and downs of, you know, the of 80s rock and roll, and, and you know, they, they come over to the U.S. I'm going to probably say they're one of the more regular bands that comes over to the U.S. almost every year or every other year on some kind of summer tour or uh, a tour of, of some sort. Um, you know, Joe Elliott, very active as the lead singer in the band and wants to keep, you know, his stuff out there, and they've even actually cut a couple of new albums, you know, recently as well, trying to bring in some new material. But these songs here are really why the fans come out to the concert. They want to hear the old school MTV classic. Yeah, and and I'll, I'll tell you something, Chris. Around when when this album came out, I was really starting to get into. I mean, I was already into Motley Crue and 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 bands like that but i was really starting to venture out and start listening to to more bands not just focusing on motley Crue, michael jackson and things that i was really into you know as a middle schooler but um but by the time this album came out i was in the eighth grade and i was starting to kind of come into my own and kind of get a little bit more um you know, uh, popular at school. And I remember Chris watching this video uh, when the video came out, pour some sugar on me. Uh, you know, Joe Elliott had that, had that great looking mullet and he had the, 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 the earrings in his ear and he had them shredded up blue jeans. And Chris, I'm going to tell you what I did. Oh, this was probably <laughs> fans do not laugh at me. Okay. You can't laugh at me, but, um, but I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a funny story. So, uh, like I said, I'm I'm in I'm in eighth grade. I'm starting to um, realize that the chicks are digging my hair and they're digging me, and and now I'm starting starting to get a little little bit more, um, uh, you know, easy going about myself and 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 saying okay okay. So so the terrific Tony was starting to brew. I guess we put it to you that way. I was starting I was starting to realize that I had a terrific Tony gimmick hadn't came out yet, but I knew I was on to something. So. What I done, Chris? I grew my hair out. Of course, I already had my mullet thanks to Ricky Morton because he was my he was my man in the in the early eighties. Um, so, but but by eighty seven, my mullet was really long. Uh, so I I tell um, I, I go and get my ear pierced, and I I got I got the the hoops that just just like Joe Elliott's got. And Chris, I take a one of my coolest pair of faded out, beat up um, Levi or yeah Levi jeans, and I try to cut them to look just like Joe Elliott's in the movie or in the video. And of course, when you when you shred jeans, the more you wash them, the more they shred and the more they just turn into rags. And 
And so, Chris, as I'm as I'm the more I wear these these pants to school, uh, the you know, the worse they look. You know, the, the, every week I wear them, they, every time I wash them, they look worse and worse. But in my eyes, they looking cool. The girls are like, "Oh, your pants look just like the guy from Def, from Pour Some Sugar on Me," which is kind of what I was going for. But I thought I was going to be a rock star, so I was trying to dress the part and look the part. And but I remember getting getting sent home from school because. Um, what I didn't realize was as I wore these pants and they shredded out, the the butt was starting to wear out. And uh, and so one day I'm in there and one of my teachers calls me up to the room and says, uh, you need to go home. And I'm like, for what? And she's like, because the girls are saying that they can see your underwear. And I'm like, well, they can't see my underwear. And Chris, you could. The whole butt was almost gone. <laughs> so I got sent home <laughs> thanks to my pour some sugar on me pants. But um but you know, it's it's, it's memories like that 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 um, that I, I enjoy doing this podcast is because I can talk about something and then it brings back a memory. Like I had totally forgot about those pants until um, until you mentioned pour some sugar on me and I remember the video and it made me remember uh, getting sent home from school because my butt was hanging out. But uh, I don't think the girls were really complaining that um, that my underwear was out. I think they were complaining my underwear was too big. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. Well, hey, again, another classic story that, you know, you know, I don't think it ever happened in school again. I mean, that was the 80s, but that was somewhat the look as well. I mean, yeah. you know, and, and you know, now the way to the kids dress, there'll be no comparison. I, the 80s definitely rocks, and even into the 90s a little bit, even the 70s. I mean, that, that was just an era that'll never be duplicated again. Um, but, you know, this album, I mean, I mean, I love hysteria on this album. Obviously, it's, it's, it's the... Uh, you know, title of the uh, album, but I mean, another great intro to that song. I love the beat to that song, and I mean, you got Rocket, Animal, Love Bites, what Armageddon, it, uh, Pour Some Sugar on Me. Those are all in in the set list on their concerts. Those are standard in the set list, and and not going out of the set list either. In, in, in addition to Hysteria, yeah, and all and also women. You know that 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 that, uh, right. that track, and it seemed like this album, man, it's like every song on the album had a had a video on MTV almost. Uh, pretty much, yeah. It was it was their breakout <laughs> to really, you know, you know, really implementing themselves on MTV, which had already been out for a, a good number of years already. But you know, and, and obviously their other smash hit photograph, which is not on this album, it was on the 30th anniversary album. Um, but again, a gigantic hit. That's probably my most favorite Def Leppard song is Photograph. That kind of brings me back to my high school days, yep. bar none. But I, 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 I mean, you could just sing the tunes all night with them. Uh, Joe Ellie doesn't even need to sing. The fans will do it for him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. The, they could just play the guitars and drums behind them. <laughs> and and Chris, you know that's 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 like the the one thing about the summer that I'm I'm so pissed off about was I was looking forward. Uh, to go into the the stadium tour with you uh, and see Def Leppard, Motley Crue, Poison, Joan Jett, uh, and Motley Crue. And and, and I knew that that this show was going to be huge. It was going to be great. It was going to be probably the best best tour that that you and I have been to together. Uh, Hopefully we'll get to see this tour next year. Fingers are crossed. I'm I'm, I'm hoping for the best, but, you know, we just have to kind of write it out but one of the things i want to point out about this album was um uh hysteria was the follow-up album to their 1983 breakthrough 
Pyromania. Um, and the reason why it was so long between the two albums was because of drummer Rick Allen's horrific car accident where he actually lost his arm. And Hysteria was actually, was it was produced by, by John Mutt Lang, who has produced tons of hits. Um, but the title of the album was thought up by the drummer Rick Allen referring to his 1984 car accident uh, and the ensuing worldwide media coverage that surrounded it. Um, and, and one other thing I want to point out, too, that this is actually the last album to feature guitarist Steve Clark right before his death. Wow. That I did not know that. Wow. That's interesting. Uh, mm-hmm. An interesting fact. I mean, and, uh, and Def Leppard has had, uh, you know, just almost like any band out there, you know, you know tragedy and history, um, you know, it, 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 they have a drummer who is awesome on the drums, you know, and, 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 and plays with one arm. I mean, it's, uh, um, you know, but they're, they're, they're still, you know, I know it's not the original band, but it's, it's, it's as good as you're going to get as far as sound and production and lights and everything else. And mm-hmm. you're going to get a show every time you see them. Yep. Now, uh, Chris, hysteria went on to, to dominate album charts around the world for three years. Um, it was certified 12 times platinum by the RIAA in 2009. Uh, the album currently sits as the 51st best-selling album of all time in the United States. It spent 96 weeks in the U.S. Top 40, a record for the 80s. It actually ties with Bruce Springsteen's Born in the USA. Uh, the album has sold more than 20 million copies worldwide. That right there is saying a lot. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, it was, I mean, it was, it was their biggest album. I mean, it was, um, I mean, they were just, they were, they, this album came out at a time when, 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 when rock and roll was just so hot. I mean, Bon Jovi was smoking, you had poison. Um, I mean, the list goes on and on Motley Crue. And I mean, it's just unbelievable. And it just was just, no matter what these bands are putting out, they were just hits. And they were, you know, springboarding off of MTV and just radio in general, and and it worked, man. And they, they made these albums, and they, they took it to the road and went on tours, and they're packing out arenas, and, and that, that's how it was. It was a real simple formula back then. We're going pre-social media. I mean, th- this is just how it was done, and you had to run down to the newsstand to get the monthly rock magazine to get the pictures to see what was going on. Yeah, and it was, uh, you know, and and back then. You know there was no internet, so you, so your 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 way of keeping up with this stuff was watching MTV, and on top of that, it was actually um, the the uh, you, you know you would go down to your local um, you know newspaper stand and uh, and buy a Rip magazine or Metal Edge or you know one of those rock and roll magazines. Uh, to find out what's going on with the, with these bands. And it was, um, it was tremendous. Um, and, and, and unfortunately a time that, that we'll never see again because of internet is faster than getting it out on in a magazine. Uh, but how cool would it be, Chris, if, if we still had our collection of all those heavy metal magazines that we bought back in the eighties? Oh my gosh, what I want to do, but that would be pretty awesome. man. that would be some pretty cool stuff. And, uh, you know, you bought those magazines to thumb through, and it's not just something you thumb through once and you put it down. You would look through it over and over again, and you cut out pictures and hang them up on your wall, and 
and that's what you did every every month when they came out to see who they were featuring, highlighting, and, and, and what was happening. Yeah, definitely. So, well, fans, we, we hope you enjoyed this week's uh, podcast as we talked about our, uh, our, our factions uh, of pro wrestling, and then we broke down this Hysteria album. Uh, our flashback next week, you fans are going to definitely want to tune in for this. I'm not even, I'm not even going to give you a, a hint because uh, I want you to make sure you tune in next week to um, to hear about this. But our flashback next week is really going to uh, school you on the rock and roll business. It's going to make you go, man, what happened to those days? It's going to be great. So you make sure you tune in for that. Chris, you have anything else before we go off the air today? I actually, I actually do, Tony. We, we, we have a happy birthday this week, don't we? I know we missed it uh, earlier in the week, but uh, you, you, you clued me in. We have, a, we have someone's birthday who is very near and dear to you. Yep, we 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 do have a birthday coming up, and it's uh, and uh, it's 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 going to be great. Um, the birthday was actually this this past um, this past Thursday. I gave him a call. I'm talking about my idol, my trainer, uh, handsome Jimmy Boogie Woogie Man Valiant celebrated his 78th birthday, uh, and he told me that uh, that he loves all the listeners out there uh, on the Binge Buster Show. He was actually on the Binge Buster Show last year on his birthday. Um, but this, this year I, I wasn't able to get that, uh, get to get that locked down because Jimmy was very busy celebrating his birthday. Uh, Chris and I were, were, were not able to, to record that day either. Uh, but Boogie told me, I talked, talked to him on the phone. He said he wanted to tell all the binge buster listeners out there. Hello. He loves you all. Uh, he wants to thank you guys for supporting him all these great, wonderful years of his career. Um, and Chris, the cool thing about this Jimmy Valiant has wrestled in seven consecutive decades. That is unbelievable. And, and, and you know, Tony, at 78 years old, I know he would still lace up those boots if he had it one more time. He could still get in the ring and, and, and still rock and roll it in there a little bit. Not as much as he used to back in the day, but um, he, he's probably, he's in, he, I, I don't think people realize how good a shape Jimmy Valiant is in. No. That. <laughs> at, his, at 78 years old, he could still do it for a few minutes in the ring and, and, and maybe maybe even a surprise here with a, with a move or two. Let me tell you people something. In, in the 90s, when, when Jimmy and I were on the road together and we were traveling, um, this man would go to bed and he would get up at 3 or 4 in the morning every day. He, I, would, I would hear him in his room in there stretching, uh, and then he'd come out and I'd, I'd have breakfast cooked and we'd sit there and eat breakfast. And he would, he would, he would tell me, Chris, he told me more than one time. He said, Tony brother, if, if, if this wrestling business doesn't work out for you, you need to open up a restaurant. Cause man, you are a great cook. I love your cooking. It's Southern, uh, just the way I like it. And, uh, and man, you know, I, I got so many memories, so many stories, uh, that I could tell, uh, and, and keep this podcast going for another two hours, probably of all my experiences with Jimmy Valiant. But, uh, I, I can't tell you fans, you know, how much this, this man means to me and, and, and how much he's done for the wrestling business, how much he done for Chris. Cause, cause when Chris was running uh, new dimension wrestling, it was the number one wrestling company here in the Carolinas for a, a lot of years. And Jimmy Valiant was like one of the major players during that time. Right, Chris? Yeah, Jimmy was there. I mean, always there for me. When you know, when 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 
When you call him for the bookings and the dates, he goes, brother, I'm, I'm locking, you're locked in, you're mine, and he'd always want to come into town even a day or love coming in a day or two, at least like two days early. Two days early, yeah. If it was a yeah. big show, maybe even three days early. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he would do his thing, and boy, I mean, you, you just you just don't have those kind of wrestlers anymore that do that. They're not just there to wrestle. They want to see the, the show be successful because they want to know that they can get booked there the next month and the next month after and the next month after and whatever the storyline may have been. And, you know, uh, and no matter what, he was always positive and a, a great mentor uh, and, and did whatever you wanted to do in there to, to make the show a, a success. Yeah, and uh, and just like Chris said, Boogie would always come in. If I had a show on Saturday, he would come in on Thursday, and um, and you know he would come in on Thursday, and and I'd, I'd have him set up at the Big Lots or Kmart or Walmart or somewhere, and he'd sit out there all day long promoting my show, selling his gimmicks, and making us both a lot of money. And uh, so so Boogie, happy birthday, Chris, and I love you very much, and thank you for everything you've done for us and the wrestling business over the years. And I hope to see you um, have many more years uh, boogie woogie rock and rolling. And, and fans, if you're out there and you want to be a pro wrestler, you always thought about being a pro wrestler. Well, Chris and I have got the hookup. Our good friend, Jimmy Valiant has a wrestling camp in beautiful Charlottesville, Virginia. And if you want to find out what it's like and, and what, what you need to do to, uh, to become a pro wrestler, then uh, look up Jimmy Vallett on Facebook and uh, send him a message, and he will give you all the details on how you can make your dreams come true right there at BWC. Hey, that's where I went. That's where Chris went. Hey, Jimmy Vallett will teach you what you need to know. And just remember, Chris, there's 20 other guys taking bumps. We ain't got to. That, that's right. I, I'll tell you, you go up to Boogie's Wrestling Camp, and I've been up there up in Shawsville. Um you're, you're learning you're learning from one of the best in the business and you're not just learning from one of the best in the business you're going to learn from someone who's going to take his time with you to learn it the right way there's a lot of guys out there you know ham and egg in the wrestling business jimmy dine's going to not only show you the right way he's going to he's going to put you on the path the right way to be successful whatever that success is is for you and and he's going to give you the tools to be successful both in and out of the ring and probably even teach you some life lessons along the way as well. For sure. And if you don't want to be a wrestler, but you want to be entertained, then go there anyway. Jimmy Vance <laughs> Wrestling Camp is open 52 Sundays a year. Um, and not only does he have a wrestling camp, but he also has a museum. Uh, you can go there and see all of his famous cars, the Valiant Brothers limousine, the boogie wagon, the doom buggy, his trike. I mean, they're all right there. And then if, after you get done looking at all the, all the cars, then go up into the museum and look at the millions and I ain't lying, millions of pictures all over the walls up there at, in his museum. And then he also has a hall of fame and, uh, and myself, uh, I'm one of the lucky people to be inducted into boogies hall of fame. That was, uh, uh, I think I, I got inducted there in 2002. So uh, there's pictures of me all over the place in there with Jimmy Valiant, and uh, I'm sure there's pictures of Chris in there as well. But uh, mm-hmm. and, and the best thing, guys, is free. You just show up on Sunday. He's open there every, um, every Sunday from noon to 4. Uh, go there, have a good time, and hang with Jimmy Valiant and his beautiful wife, Angel, and I promise you, will, you, will, um, you, you, you definitely will have a good time. 
so for Chris and I, we want to appreciate all of our listeners. Make sure you download us on your favorite podcast platform and tune in each week as Chris and I break down rock and roll and pro wrestling. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. Thank you for listening to the Binge Buster Show. Make sure you like us on Facebook and download us on your favorite podcast platform. 